We'll be following Willie Moore and Moore. Back in the NRL. There's Willie Mays. That's forgotten how big Willie actually is. Perhaps the presence of Willie and the Panthers looking at his imposing frame. I'm a 25 minute man. Oh, you got skills, son. Uppercut right hand by Big Willie. Two fancy for that. One of the best things about this year has been our guests, and so far this year we have had some big names, but none bigger than Huey Bowman. Will, your black book has come yeah. through once again. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's great to have – I mean, I've been really good friends of, you know, for Huey for, you know, 10-plus years. Uh, it's good to get his – this is a little bit of an insight. I mean, I think we would have a lot of punters as our audience. So um, – just for them to have that insight, I ask questions that I think that the actual punter wants to wants to actually know. So hopefully they get something out of it. And thank you very much for Hugh Bowman. Yeah, he's a legend, man. Tune Shout in. your beer, brother. We hope you enjoy the show. The Little Black Book, whilst it's been amazing, it has also been – you've never specifically said before, next week I'm going to get such and such no. on. And I was concerned because <laughs> what if this particular person was away or – yeah, well, you can't yeah. be away, coronavirus, yeah. but you've come through again, William. Yeah, I think, I mean, the whole, the whole, this sort of just come on to us, didn't it? I mean, obviously the NRL season ended and all that kind of stuff, all this shit was going on. And we're like, do we, how, how do we sort of be more diverse instead of being, you know, pigeonholed into this NRL show, which we're not, you know, we, we can talk about anything we want. And I was thinking, you know, I've got a lot of people that, are, a lot of guys that I've known, known and I'm friends with that in that are elite sportsmen, you know, like James Magnuson, John Stepherson. Me, Joel Parkinson. Like, I've, I've, there's still a lot to come. So, I'll, hopefully, in the in in um, the rest of this year, they all they all get a chance to come on the show, and we get a chance to get them on. But this this week, I've gone. You know, we our, we are proud, proudly sponsored by Neds, which is great. And I thought, well, fuck, we just keep gambling on horse racing, and we I keep losing, but we keep winning collectively as a we group. We win as a team. We win as a team. team. So I thought I'd ring Huey Bowman. And just get his, you know, just I think, I think he's one of the best sportsmen, most underrated sportsmen people, uh, sportsmen in Australia. Because all we do is we we really uplift the NRL, rugby union, AFL. You know, if you if you're at the cream, if you're the cream of the crop in all those sports, you seem to get all the accolades. But he's an individual sport man, and he has been phenomenal. I've been really good friends with him for over ten years, and um, you know, obviously in the the, the narrative for most of our interviews are. You know, the, the mindset, you know, um, uh, his focus and all this kind of stuff, the training. I want to know this. Sh- I want to know this shit. So the average person wants to know. So let's just give him a ring. Let's get him on and, the phone. Um, I'll get the headphones on. All right. He, he didn't, he didn't message me back. It's ringing. Good start. Yeah. Willie. Huey Bowman, how are you, mate? Good, mate. Thanks. How are you? Yeah, thanks for doing this, bro. That's right. How no you worries. been? Yeah, well, thanks. I told you I'd ring. I told you I would start my own podcast and you have to fucking come on. I know. <laughs> we haven't started yet. How's it been going? Yeah, good. Like We've had um, some really good guests on. Uh, mate, it's been unreal, actually, considering all the bullshit that's been going on. Yeah, well, it probably gives people something to 
have a listen to. Yeah, that. it's a bit different. Oh, yeah, we'll get started right now because I know you're busy, mate. Oh, I'm here too, oh, Hugh. It's uh, a, yeah, sorry, Ian it's Byrne, he's my Ian partner. Speaking. I'm probably uh, the reason yeah, why it's... Ian, yeah, Ian, mate, I think it's been going well basically because of me. So <laughs> you'll probably work that out pretty quickly, though. I'm I'm carrying him on my well, back. I just, I'm just... Yeah, with a kid. Oh, yeah. Hang on. I'll go in where it's quiet. What do we got in the background? Peppa Pig. Oh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's not that, but it's the full brother. How's that? Yeah, perfect, that mate. Yep. All right. Well, uh, we've got Huey Bowman, legendary uh, Hall of Fame. Why, why? Actually, why do they put you in the Hall of Fame already when you were still a jockey, like when you're still competing? Why is that? You have to wait five five years after um, after you play your NRL career. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm I'm not part of the selection process, but obviously. The board, I was nominated by somebody, and yeah, the board agreed. So I'm not the first jockey to be inducted while still riding. Cause oh, I okay. Do they usually, I, particularly like, do they usually um, wait for you to, to finish? Well, Glenn Boss is a member, uh, as is Damien Oliver. So there's two that are currently riding. Okay, I, sweet. I, I remember when Darren Biebens was inducted, it was probably at a similar age as I am. In his late 30s. So mm-hmm. I remember being there at that ceremony. I guess one so, of the things with jockeys, mate, is that you, you do have such a long career. I mean, it's not as if you go through you, your other sports, your cricket or your AFL or your, your rugby players, where they sort of the body gives up at late 30s. As a jockey, you can ride for a lot longer. What sort of, I mean, what sort of training are you doing now? Is it harder to train or are you still going okay? Um, no, it's not harder to train. The, the thing about what we do, is that the biggest things are weight. I mean, your fitness tends to come naturally. You don't really, um, you know, how do I describe it? It's a very unique sport in that, I mean, 20, 30 years ago, jockeys tended, especially in Australia, they tended to sort of run run through their use-by date by about the age I am. You know, you didn't see many top jockeys over the age of 40, but I think that's changed with the with the globe becoming somewhat of a smaller place with the facilities of being able to travel around the world because you look at your European jockeys and they tend to flourish in their late 30s through their 40s. And, I mean, Mick Canaan, one of the best jockeys of all time, you know, he retired at the top of his game at 50 years old. So... The fortunate thing about being a jockey, you get all that experience. And you know, at my age, you know, I'm I'm 40 this year. It's and a good I age, you. Like, it's a good age, but I, I honestly feel I honestly feel like, um, you know, I've got the experience and the knowledge, and you know, obviously, I've achieved a great deal. So I don't feel the need to try and prove myself anymore. It's just a matter of finding a horse fast enough to take me through whatever race that I'm really aiming for. Okay. Uh, so it's being a jockey is unique compared to other athletes, but certainly uh, there are a lot of fundamentals that are very much the same too. Well, um, let's let's talk about a uh, uh, mutual friend that we both have, Trent Langland. Since you've trained with him, I'm not sure how long you've been with him, like maybe is it over five years? Jeez, it'll be over 10 years Over now, 10 years, wow, time yeah. flies. It has been so actually, actually, hasn't it? Like how yeah. long? How, see, like I, I'm a massive big fan of Chang, 
and he's one of the best personal trainers. And I see, I see you train with Trent for years and years, doing this uh, heap of balance stuff, a heap of core, speed, everything. I just don't think people realize how much of a supreme athlete you jockeys are. Just because you're small, some of the shit you do with Chang is so high level, it's ridiculous. Like how do you think when you since you started training with Chang, your balance and your speed and strength has gone up because obviously you, you sorted him out because you need to fix something. Yeah, well, uh, 100% I do, but it's a bit like when you travel overseas, especially as a youngster, and I, I feel like I've flourished more by the experiences I've had from going abroad, getting out of my, my comfort zone. You know, it's all very well to reach the height that you might want to reach in, in your hometown, but to go abroad and to be able to achieve at higher levels really, you know, because you've got to live in uh, foreign circumstances as you've got to organize accommodation you don't know anyone you've got you know you've got to prove yourself to an extent and where i'm trying to go with that is with chang i didn't really realize how much benefit i was getting from the training i was doing with him until you know i got to a stage where i thought you know not i don't want to do it but i need a break okay so you just can't be you, you can't be you know 110 percent all the time you need to yeah. be you need to be like 85 to 90 percent all the time and then you need to be a hundred percent at for the race at, day at the big time at the big times a year and then you need to bring it back and that's more of a mental thing than a physical thing and with training with chang what i realized is when i stopped going to the gym or had a couple of months off how i weak how weak i became through the core area and it wasn't until i'd done it that i realized you know when i was doing it i was building strength building strength and condition and stability through my core which allowed me to be really light on the horses and it gave me an advantage there's no doubt about it but it wasn't until I, I stopped doing it that I realized how much of, of an advantage that I was getting from that but the interesting thing about Trent early on you know I went there I said oh, I need you know he was training me he really pumped the conditioning side into me tried to get my heart rate up He's evolved, he, hasn't he? He has, isn't he? Well, well, he he. That's where he's been amazing. He's evolved and he's learnt what I need and what he needs to target to get the best out of me as a rider. Because as jockeys, we are fit. I mean, we're we're running to lose weight. We're we're conditioned probably as well, if not better, than any other athlete that you guys have spoken yeah. to for our particular sport. And um. I think he realised that. He said, I don't need to get this guy fit. He is, in fact, he's probably one of the, I've heard him say it, one of the fittest athletes he's ever trained. Yeah, same. And that wasn't about me being special. It was just about what I do and the conditioning that's required for what I do as a jockey. And then he started to hone skills where he thought I could improve. And it's been a really good learning process for me. I, I followed, I've followed the horses for a long time, and, and I guess until I sort of started seeing what you were doing with Chang, I had no idea the fitness levels that, that jockeys actually have. You, you say that athletes aren't as fit as what jockeys are. I mean, I've been – I don't know if you know that game, that horse game that they play in the pub where you sit on the fake horse <laughs> and you go up and down on it. I've done that a couple of times, mate, and I'm gone after about a minute and a half. When you're on a horse – are you basically are you squatting essentially the whole time in in on that horse and then letting it go at the end? I mean, that oh. must put a huge amount of pressure through your legs. 
It's difficult to explain the positioning. I mean, obviously you can see it, or anyone that follows a racing at all can see the positioning, but you're using the horse's energy, and this is where the core strength for me is so important because if I'm strong through the core, then I'm light through my hands. If I'm light through my hands, then the horse is relaxed. You know, And the more relaxed the horse is, the more energy it's going to have to finish the race. And... You know, that, that in layman's terms, that's the simplest way to explain. It, it's not about, you know, holding onto a coiled rubber band because if the horse is, you know, really strong throughout the race, then they're not going to have the energy to finish as strongly. But then again, I'm talking very layman's terms because every horse is unique. Every horse is different. They're like people. They all have different temperaments, different personalities. And that's one thing that fascinates me about, coaches of any sporting team trying to bring 11 or 12 or 15 personalities together to get them to compete you know as a team and go forward you know it's very much like riding horses you're trying to you're trying to understand each animal in a short space of time and how to get the best out of that animal on a particular day can you tell when you get on a horse can you tell what you're going to have to do to get the better out of that best out of that horse, or is it is it well, not until it starts running and you start to control the horse that you can understand what you need to do? Well, well, they're all different, and uh, you know, you, you do. I get a good feel going to the barriers on how I might manage the horse in the race, each race. But obviously, with the facility of internet and replays, and the fact that you guys can see me train and all, you know, on through social media and all that stuff you know the world has evolved so we're we're all beneficiaries of that so i'm a beneficiary of that because i can research my horses before i ride them but i try not to you know and everyone's different but i try not to go out with a you know too much of a preconceived plan until i get a feel of the horse going to the barriers and sometimes usually the plan will just go as my preconceived plan would be but Sometimes I'll go to the barriers and think, well, if I ride this horse how I think I should ride it, things aren't going to end well. Um, you know, not every horse can win every race. And, that, you know, that's what, you know, as a punter, if you're watching, the, if you've backed the horse, you think, what's he doing? But me as a jockey, I'm trying to get the horse to run as well as it can run on the day. And that might mean it can't win. It doesn't mean that I'm not trying to win. It just means it can't. And my, mm. The best thing I can do for that horse is ride it to run as well as it can, and then it might win next start if it runs. You know, they, okay. they, they can't be gassed every time. They can't go out. No horse can go and lead every race and keep going. You know, they, they need to be relaxed. You need to harness the energy, and they're flight animals because they're bred to run. So you've got to, you know, the key to success is harnessing the energy for when they need when they really need to compete, which they can only do for about 300 metres if they're very good. All right. Let's wind the clock back. Um, we're the same age, Huey. So uh, you went to Scots. So, like, just say Willie Mason as a 12-year-old knew that he wasn't going to be a jockey. What about – Oh, I can just, understand that. <laughs> what about the, the 12-year-old Huey Bowman? We haven't matured yet. You're, you're a young kid. You're a dunny-do boy. You come to Scots College. Like, when did you figure out and when did you know that you were going to be – and you wanted to be a jockey because as a as a as a league player, you sort of got to watch yourself mature. And then you're 15 or 16 years old, and you're like, yep, I'm sort of right, right sort of weight. I'm projecting that way. I'm going to be about you know six foot two or three, whatever. But you and jockeys, you got to be a specific build. When did you go? Shit, 
I'm going to be a jockey. I can't be a bodybuilder or a rugby league player. <laughs> <laughs> I knew early on I wasn't going to be a footy player. But, yeah. um, I, I grew up with horses, as you said. I grew up in Dunedoo on a farm. And so I was very, you know, I was a very accomplished rider. Although I had no experience in racing, I was a very accomplished rider by that age. And it was about that time that I went to Scott. So I was 12 when I went there uh, to board. And as, when I left home, I thought I never want to see another horse again. Uh, but as soon as I, as soon as I was away from them for, I reckon I was about halfway through that first year at at, at school that I really thought, you know what, I, I I just really want to be a jockey. I think mum and dad actually were down for the weekend, and we went to Randwick one day and took took me there, and I, I saw Beedman and Shane Dye and John Marshall, Jim Cassidy, and yeah, I guess I just thought, wow, this is this is what I want to do, and it was it was that uh, it was that time, and it was very real. Did you hope that and, you didn't that you weren't going to grow? Did you like? Oh, I just want to stay here because well, I know jockeys can't be like six foot five. Yeah, well, I, I was a late maturer yeah. um, at, at that age, but by at fifteen, I was about for memory. I, I reckon I was about. 35 kilos when Fuck I was 15. Off. Really? Fair dinkum. And Yeah, I was. And then when I, by the time I got to 16 and I started- That was my, my backpack. My backpack was 35 <laughs> kilos. It was your right leg. Yeah. <laughs> but, he, was um, a, he was a winger in those days. Don't worry about that. He, was, oh, he had speed. He came yeah, late. Well, speed. Exactly. I don't know. Speed's a, probably a stretch. So, yeah, that and, and that's where, it, you know, I when, when I, I sort of put on 10 kilos or more over the next 12 months so I was when I started my apprenticeship I was nearly the same height as I am now and I was told basically I'm no hope of making it because I'm too tall uh I won't be able to control my weight and you know all the rest of it but I was really dead set on doing it and I thought well if I can outsee my apprenticeship till I'm 21 you know, well, maybe there's no reason why I couldn't go till I'm 30. And can, can you tell the I listeners? Never thought beyond that. Can you tell the listeners? Just you're talking about your weight and your, and your height and everything like that. Um, just about the the weeks that you go through. Just say in your 20s and 30s, like just the cutting of weight. Is it as excruciating as they say? Like, do you have to? How many? How many? Are you in the sauna every day? Can you tell us about your preparation just during the week, just to, for a big race? And you have to lose just say three or four kilos. I'm not sure if it's like that or. Anyway, just, well, your, just not, your weight cut. Well, it's not a big race. It's every race. Yeah. Um, so okay. this morning I rode at Canterbury today. I had six rides. I only had to ride 57, which was lovely. But I woke up 58 no, 58.4 this morning. So I dropped two kilos to ride today. And so do you weigh yourself every morning? Like if you're riding, you weigh yourself in the morning to see where you're up to? If I'm riding, I do. Yeah, right. To, I mean, it's... Look, if my weight's a bit like it's a bit cold now, we're we're through the peak season. You know, your motivation probably isn't quite the same as it is at what it would be in January when I'm leading into the big time of year. And again, it comes back to uh, maturity, understanding. You know, you just can't go mentally at a hundred percent all the time. Like you just, you know, you when you're younger and you're trying to build through the grades yeah you just keep building 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 you've got ambition but when you get older you've got to be able to you know and it's the same with my weight so you're still having 500 you're still having 500 plus rides a year though aren't you like that's a lot of rides Uh, at least yeah Yeah. Yeah. Um, it'd be 700 to 900 rides a year i think 
Wow. More or less, but but you've got to be riding to do it. You can't just turn up on Saturday and expect to complete, you know, because you've got to be, you know, getting back to what we're talking about before your fitness. You, you've got to be doing it to be fit for it. And, you know, I've never played, you know, football since I was what, at school, so 20-odd yeah. years. But I'm sure the first game of the season, you pull up your sore for yeah. the contact and the, you know, it probably takes you two or three weeks. And by the end of the season, the speed and the power that's going into the hits with the footy players, it's, but their bodies can take take it because they're conditioned yeah. for it. Yes. And they have been over the months. So same as a jockey, you're conditioned for losing weight. Uh, you know what you can do. You, you you know what limits you can go to. But my advice is that the most important thing is diet. And if you eat well, then mm. you're still cutting the weight, but you cut it comfortably. If you eat poorly, you're probably yeah. cutting a similar amount of weight, but it's harder to do. How and, strict? Are you, how strict are you on your diet and your professionalism these days? Getting into your, an elder statesman of the game. Well, it's easier to. I think I'm better with my diet these days than I was when I was younger because I'm probably not fighting my body as much. Yeah. And also, you know, if I go out for a big night, you know, I just don't bounce back like I did when I was 24, you know. <laughs> I certainly hear anyway. you there. Yeah, it hits so us I'm all, thinking, mate. I'm thinking two or three days in advance because otherwise it just hurts too much. And because I'm thinking three days in advance, I've got a more consistent diet you know, at all levels, and it just makes it easier to manage, to be honest. I'd just be riding top weights now if I were you. Just get on the 60 kilo plus, and then you've got an extra three <laughs> kilos to play with. Mate, can well, I ask you a question? I wish it was that easy. Can I ask you a question? If I don't ride the horse at 56, then one of the, someone else rides it, and then when it gets to 60, whoever's ridden it rides it. They keep so, going, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't ride much under 56. The minimum weight's 54. Uh, but I don't go under 56, and I've found that, you know, riding at that weight is, you know, it's much better for my consistency and my focus. And you're comfortable mate, with it too. I was just time. asking, Mum, I had James Magnuson on last week. We are sort of like talking about, you know, the Blue Ribbon event, Blue Ribbon event was the 100-metre freestyle and the sprints at the Olympic Games, and I think our, the biggest event for – for your jockeys is a Melbourne Cup. Like, well, how are you thinking? How are you feeling? And we're, we're all sitting there. It stops the whole fucking nation. We're all, even, I remember when I was in school, it was at 3 o'clock on a Tuesday or whatever. It was just ridiculous. You're, you're in the saddle. You've been, I think you've had 10 Melbourne Cups. Um, you're sitting in the saddle and all these horses are jostling and all that kind of stuff trying to get into the, whatever you just call it, <laughs> the barrier, whatever, <laughs> in wow. position. Barrier. But like just, yeah, hey, I'm not a horse man. You know that, Huey, Research. for fuck's sake. Um, but you're trying to get into the barriers and stuff like that just before it goes off. What are you thinking? And how's your mental? How are you mentally thinking? Are you so super focused, or are you a relaxed sort of person? Because I look at that and go, "Fuck, this horse is going nuts." And even if your horse is nice and calm, there's another horse going nuts. You'd have to be super focused or super relaxed. What sort of what sort of person are you? Well, for the Melbourne Cup, yeah, I'm pretty relaxed. Yeah, but 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 I'm focused too. Yeah. But I'm pretty relaxed by nature, because um, that's just me. But yeah. um, but but that doesn't mean I don't. But I'm not focused, you know, and and competitive. But there's a balance, you know, and you got to. That's where it comes with maturity and and years under the belt and knowledge and belief in yourself. You know, I had the same belief in myself when I was 18 as I do now. You know, yeah. I, I believed, uh, obviously. 
it took me a while to break into the elite group of riders because I was because I was quite heavy when I was young, so I didn't get those opportunities in, in the big races, the Melbourne Cups, the Doncasters, the Stradbrokes, the Epsoms, because I couldn't ride the lightweights. And of course, the the proven jockeys got the heavier weights. So it took me a while to prove myself at at the high level. But once I did, I think my first Group One winner was in two thousand and three. Uh, no, 2004, sorry, I was 23. But I've managed to win at least one race, if not more, at the highest level every year since. That was Defyer, so wasn't it? I, uh, it was. Oh, man, he's I a tragic, this bloke, yeah. Huey. I love that yeah. horse. <laughs> mate, Defy- we, can't, we can't mention uh, Huey Bone without mentioning your little mate, Winks. She's a beauty, and I'm not that much of a horse racer, but you and that horse got the whole fucking nation going crazy, mate. How was that whole experience, you know? I mean, I, I remember going to, to race days at Randwick. You were winning uh, on Winks. I think the last day was my- We went to last, your birthday. Yeah, it was my birthday. Ago. It was, yeah. it was your, your, um, oh, your ride Winks. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, your of course. Birthday. But uh, how good was that exper- experience riding her? She was- um. Obviously unbeaten, and is, is that one of the best horses you've ever ridden? Or is no, that a stupid question? Yeah, that's a stupid question. But, right. um, Plenty of those on this show. She, no, that. She's yeah, it was an amazing journey, and it's it's hard to describe. But I guess you know, as a youngster, you know, I dreamed of like you know, I remember when Elton Flatley. I went to the two thousand three World Cup, and Elton Flatley kicked the penalty goal for Australia mm. at, on the full-time whistle to send the final into overtime. And obviously Johnny Wilkinson slotted the field goal to sending on yeah. the victory. But, 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 but th- those moments of, you know, it was all him, you know, and, and the folk, you know, I dreamed of that. I dreamed of serving for Wimbledon. I dreamed of, I don't know, Hitting uh, when Steve Wall hit his just final, a big just a four. just big fi- dream final hundred in the at the, at the his final game at the SCG. I was there, you know. Big I, I moments. Just dreamed of that moment uh, as an athlete and, and as a human, and uh, and Winks gave me that. So she gave me that in many times, but uh, it was a process that I, I developed with her. I developed with the. Uh, with what was going on and the reason she was so famous is because she raced for so long you know there's there's many horses or well not many but every few years there'll be a horse that can achieve the level that she did but you don't see them achieve it year after year after year and she did it and that's what she did and that's what made her so special and that's what made the whole team around her you know it wasn't just it wasn't about me it was about it wasn't even about Winks. It was about the whole team around her and, and how much effort went into harnessing her ability and keeping her at the level she was for so long. And I've got no doubt she, she went out at the top of a game and I'm sure she would have actually won a fifth Cox Pate had she have stayed in work. But there's absolutely no regrets from anyone that that didn't happen. It was just – it was an amazing to be Perfect, wasn't it? a part of such – such an incredible athlete, it's, you know. And I it guess, is. Sorry, as a mate. Child, I, as a child, I dreamed of winning a Melbourne Cup. I didn't dream of riding Winks, but once I started being a jockey, I did. I started dreaming about being associated with a champion, and the fact that I was associated with arguably the best horse that you know we've ever seen, certainly in Australia, is 
Yeah, it's, it's actually, Special, I've got to pinch man. myself, to be honest. It's yeah. funny too, because, I mean, Will mentioned the Melbourne Cup before, and that's, I guess, for, for people that don't follow racing, the Melbourne Cup, I guess, is the race that everybody that's knows. That's me. That's me. Yeah, and, and, and that's a big thing. I you just know, know Huey Bowman. That's my, that's, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's how I get into places. I oh, know Huey Bowman. Fucking get, get out of my way. At the bar at the top. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, <laughs> the Cox Plate is without doubt, I think, the the pick race in Australian history, you know that that's it's it is the the best race in the Southern Hemisphere, and for you to have done what you did there, it's something that will never ever be forgotten. And it's and it's funny too because it links you directly with a horse. What's your relationship now? I mean, you've won a lot of races on her. Do you still go and see her? Do you still sort of? I actually I, I went and saw her. Um just last week, but I hadn't seen her for over a year. So to answer your question, no, I don't go and see her. But she's at the next stage of her her life, and that's fantastic, and it's great to see her so healthy. And I'm sure she, you know, there's no doubt she's going to have a great life ahead of her. But you know, for me too, I, I mean, obviously, she's my career is going to be defined to a degree through Winks. There's no doubt about that. Not. I'm very proud of You'd that. You'd be happy to do that. Honest. Jeez, but, yeah. but 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 it's not only winks, you know. And, and you know, if I'm going to continue riding, I, I want to be the best I can be. I don't want to be, you know. I can look back on winks for many years to come. I look back on her now with great appreciation, and it's only now that I don't have anything quite like her that I'm realising just how good she was. But it's you know, I, I I've got to continue on as does Chris Waller. Um, you know, we've got to continue on with our journey, and yeah, I guess. Well, what else can I do? It's no yeah. good thinking about what what Winks is doing. You know, although I'm very wary of it. Um, you know, I've got to focus to the future and not get a sore neck looking back because there'll be plenty of time for that. Yes. Do you? I mean, the Melbourne Cup obviously is a race you haven't run, what haven't won on yet. Is that something now that you've sort of? I guess even this year now, they won't probably be international horses, will they? They won't bring them over. So probably... Uh, I don't know, to be honest. This is probably one you of You guys your... have gotten away with everything. You just haven't been... Hey, you've been racing all the time through this COVID stuff. How how you been going with that? Well, it's been good because, you know, obviously you keep your weight in check and the industry's put, you know, unbelievable, you know, led by Peter Volandis, of course, here in New South yeah, Wales. Yeah, he was an but... animal, didn't he? But the thing about what we do, you know, you're actually not interacting with people. You're interacting. No, that's what with I'm horses. saying. You don't give a fuck about the crowd, do you? Yeah. Well, look, maybe down the straight when everyone's going there's nuts. Certainly a lack of atmosphere when when Farner won the Golden Slipper. Hmm. But yeah. But the fact was, we still won the Golden Slipper, so it didn't mean didn't take anything away from the race for me. Um, you know, you, you you missed that the vibe that comes from the crowd and. I guess at this time of the year, you're just going through the motions, and you, you know, you, you, you're giving each horse um, the necessary admiration they need. But at the end of the day, that the big days, it was a re- was really different. But this time of year, it'll be pretty quiet anyway, and you'd have your consistent race goals. You wouldn't have huge crowds every week. Uh, you'd have the dead set racing people, and we, we do need them. But the fact that the industry could keep going. Everyone can watch it at home anyway. So you probably don't miss the look, drunks yelling at you on the beaten favourites, do you? When you're coming back into the mounting yard, you got all those people uh, giving you the advice. That's me, by the way. We'll, we'll <laughs> order off a duck's back, yeah. mate. What do you reckon now? Um, in terms of uh, with the 
the race is coming up. Um, you say it's a, a quiet time. Do you try and reduce your rides or do you just keep going as is? Uh, no, you don't want to reduce your ride. Well, we're restricted at the moment to areas, okay? So in New South Wales, um, you're either a city jockey, you're a northern jockey or a southern jockey. So you can't ride outside your area. So at the moment, we're restricted anyway. To be perfectly honest, I've enjoyed the slow of pace and the less travel. It's been really good. Uh, tap into the family a bit more. So that's been great. But going forward, look, I'll probably have a little time off during July and freshen up a bit and then be ready to go sort of for the new season from August 1. So that would be my plan. Ride for another three weeks, I think, then have a break. And, I mean, I don't have to have a break. I choose to do that. All right. Uh, the racing keeps going, and you know, obviously, from mid-August, you're really starting to build into the spring carnival. Whether the over- overseas horses are here or not, it makes, it, for me at this stage, makes little or no difference. Huey, mate, I know that you're um, you're a keen league fan. Like, who, who's your team, and are you pumped to see the league back on? Because I know I know I am, but well, mate, I think everyone is. Yeah, yeah, I think Australia. I mean, obviously, racing is a little bit different. It's an individual sort of sport, but like just to see rugby league back on TV. I mean, who who is your team and um, who do you follow? I follow the Roosters. I was no, I knew that. I well done. Knew that. Being, well done. <laughs> living in the eastern suburbs for this long, I felt that it'd be rude not to. So, and the thing about the Roosters, they win, and I like to win. So. <laughs> Mate, I was just thinking. I always ask every like every other athlete. I mean, obviously, when league players retire, they've got pretty much no fucking plan. Um, I even asked Magnuson about that, about swimming, no plan. Joel Parkinson, there's no, there's no plan. Um, with racing, like, do do they have any protocols? Do they put anything into racing? So, all right, Huey Bowman is going to retire in two years. Do they put things in place for the so the retirement is 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 ease, easy into normality, or they just say, all right, we've had enough of Huey. He's a Hall of Famer. See you later. You're done. Yeah. Pretty much? Not really. I guess it's up to the individual, really. Um, You know, I guess there's media opportunity for a select few. Um, If you want to do that, obviously you could go into training if if that's an interest to you. There's plenty of roles within the industry that people can uh, migrate to. But to answer your question, I don't think many people really plan. And and the thing about jockeys, most jockeys retire. I think the average retirement rate age is between 30 and 35. Um, Okay. So, you know, it's still relatively young, of course. And I guess, yeah, there's not really a set protocol or plan in place, but there are plenty of opportunities within the industry. And I guess it just comes down to – if you want to continue on and a lot of people, you know, that have been jockeys have left school early, probably had limited education at school to start riding, you know, certainly up until the stage that I was at, I think maybe it might be different now with the younger guys coming through or younger guys and girls because education's much more um, available, I I guess, to, to everyone. Um, so, but certainly in my years coming through in the younger years, jockeys tended to be uneducated and and probably got a bit sick of racing, to be honest, to mm. a degree, um, the vast majority. But, you know, I think with the society now and the way businesses and the way businesses are, 
Um, you know, there's certainly opportunities out there. It's just a case of whether the individual wants to pursue within the industry or, or go abroad. What would, um, anyway, a bit of quick advice. What advice would you give to, uh, just say, a 12-year-old at Scott's or whatever whatever school, a young kid who's aspiring to be a jockey? What would Huey Bowman, what sort of advice would you give to him? Or her? Look, I, th- I think whether you want to be a jockey or 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 anything, you know, whether it be whether you want to be a sportsman or anything in life, you, you have to have self-discipline and if you want to succeed, you know, and I guess it's more a question of about success than about being a jockey. You know, you, you need to have self-discipline, you need to have dedication and you need to be true to yourself. And, you know, those are things that I've always been, you know, I guess dedication gets a bit wayward at times, but over the course of time, you know, I've put everything that I could into what I do, particularly when I was younger. And obviously as you get older, I've got two kids and I'm married and, you know, your life changes and your values move with that change. And um, it's very important to evolve as a person, but as a youngster, you've got to have discipline. And without that, nothing will happen. If you have it, if you have the dedication and the discipline, you've got the building box to go wherever you want to go. Well, mate, the hours in racing are noticeably brutal, and you've probably get up and got to get up nice and early tomorrow. So, mate, we really appreciate your time tonight. It's been fascinating to hear your thoughts on a number of things, and we really do appreciate you coming on and having a chat with us, mate. Appreciate it, Huey. You're a legend, mate. My pleasure, guys. Look forward to hearing. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Take Cheers, care, man. mate. You've been listening to The Take with Willie Mason and co-host Ian Byrne. Produced by Craig Trewick, recorded and engineered by Zig Parker of Green Room Sydney, and presented by the Handshake Media Network. 